0: The profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio.
1: Where faith comes to life.
0: Well, hello and welcome along to the profile with me, Justin Briley. This is the program here on Premier Christian Radio when we meet different people in all kinds of walks of life to tell us about their Christian journey. And it's a great pleasure to be joined on the show today by Paul Weston. He's a church leader. He's going to be talking about how he became a Christian. He's got a really interesting story to tell. And about his work with New Gen Church in Sidcup, Lark in the Park, the Schools Trust, and all the kinds of things they're doing to reach out to all the different generations in their part of London. So, um, Paul, welcome along to the programme.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: It's It's good to be here. It's great to have you on uh, the programme. Uh, Just, I should say, for anyone listening who wants to read more about Paul's journey, uh, you're going to be able to read it in uh, the January edition of Premier Christianity magazine. We're talking about his testimony in the mag. Uh, Go to the website premierchristianity.com slash free sample. You'll be able to read Paul's journey for yourself. But I'm looking forward to hearing about this, Paul, because... the thing that inspired me to get in touch with you was actually seeing you speak at Spring Harvest a couple right, of years yeah, ago yeah. about your story on the main stage. <clears throat> You've been involved for some time with Spring Harvest, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I've been involved for quite a few years. I actually went originally to Spring Harvest uh, to serve at, in, as a small group leader in the um, youth programme. How and, many years ago was that? Oh, scary. Probably maybe nearly 15, 16 years yeah, ago, maybe yeah, something yeah. like that. And uh, I, was, I was involved in leadership uh, in my own church, but I wasn't, I wasn't the team leader, but I was mm. in leadership. Mm. And I really felt I wanted to go and learn from other leaders in different spheres to my own network that I was in. So I went as a volunteer. I've got to be honest, I didn't massively enjoy it. I found <laughs> I was a small group leader uh, in an 11s to 14s program. And I had a sort of, you know, a big group of girls that we had to sort of jump up and down and dance with and so on. And a couple of, there's only a couple of boys in my group. So it was, a, it was a quite an intimidating experience. Yeah, I can and, imagine. Uh, But uh, what happened was, I sort of, uh, I've always had a passion for young people Mm -hmm. and seeing young people break through to their meant to be and stuff. And so, I was then invited back to help next year on the team, and then slowly um, was asked to lead one of the venues, and then so you took on a
0: leadership role really for for the youth side generally at at the Minehead venue and so on for for a number of years now. Um, and my 11-year-old son has benefited from it immensely. Brilliant. So, so I, I can testify to the brilliant work you guys are doing. Yeah, I think it's some fantastic
1: leaders that yeah. serve at Spring yeah. Office. who are very humble and very up for this, you know, yeah. the next generation yeah, and absolutely. empowering them to, yeah. to you know, do great things. Well,
0: we're looking forward to it uh, this coming April. I think it's all happening before Easter because of the school holidays uh, this yeah. coming year. But, yeah, um, yeah. Well, let, let's go back to your story, though, Paul, because as I say, you, I heard you talk about your story one night in the Big Top, and it was just the most fascinating sort of set of circumstances that yeah. brought you to yeah. Christ. Do you want to yeah. tell us how things started off for you, where, what circumstances you were born into?
1: Yeah, so I was, I was, born, I was brought up in an amazing family. Uh, I had a brother and sister, mum and dad. Um, unfortunately, my mum and dad are both deceased now, which is really sad and stuff, but um, I was brought up in a great family. And... Um, had a sort of a bit of a Sort of a little mini shock when I was younger that uh, my parents sat me down in the mm. living room on a Sunday afternoon and I was still at primary school uh, in the quite, quite young years at primary school and my parents told me that I was adopted. Right. And um, to be totally honest, when they told me, I was really excited because I thought, <laughs> I've got another mum and dad like this because mum right. and dad were amazing. And I thought, yeah. wow, I've got another mum and dad like this. This is really cool. So
0: two for the price of work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh,
1: so it didn't really affect me at all. Right. But I went, to, sc- went you know, obviously to school the next day and um, I told one of my friends in the playground, so oh, I'm adopted. And he sort of said, oh, wh- what's that? And mm. I said, oh, I was trying to explain it to him best as I could as a <laughs> six-year-old or whatever. <laughs> and um, and then I told another friend and he was sort of a bit bemused as well. And then when we were queuing up to go into the class, I told one of my close friends who I sat with at the table and, and I said to him, oh, I found out you style was adopted. And he turned around to me and he didn't mean it like in a spiteful way, but he just sort of said, as young, as young kids do, he just said, Well, that means that your mum and dad didn't want you. They threw you away. Wow. And I hadn't thought of that angle <laughs> yeah. of the story yeah. I was told yesterday, you know, by my parents, that I'd been thrown away. And I thought, I don't know, even as a young kid, I thought, I can't go and say to my mum and dad, Was I thrown away? Mm. Like, I just felt it was just yeah. a horrible thing to say. I don't know. I, I can't really remember how I processed it. But what I do know, is that I spent most of the rest of my life when I went to bed every night just considering for a few moments, why have I been thrown away? Like, how was I conceived? Was mm-hmm. I just some sort of quickie around the back of a nightclub? Was I, you know, h- how did I come into the world? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so as a young boy, I sort of grew up um, and had the hang-ups, I suppose, yeah. really that led me to probably around people feel a little bit rejected mm-hmm. and not really feel like I fitted in sometimes. Even though I was in a... I had great mates yeah, and, and a great I had, family. Yeah, uh, but I had a secret. Yeah, that I felt I couldn't really talk about, and that was mm. that. Yeah, I'd been I'd been
0: adopted. Yeah, growing up, what kind of a character were you? Were you a bit of a, a Jack the Lad? Were you the shy and introspective <laughs> type? Uh,
1: I think probably when I look back on my life, I probably had a a lot of influence on people as a, as a leader, I suppose, in, in many ways. Now I look back on it and probably my leadership journey probably started when I was young. I was in Cubs and Scouts and Venture Scouts, which is absolutely, was absolutely amazing. And I found myself leading, you know, leading a group and then becoming a Venture Scout leader as well. And um, I think I started to have an awareness of the fact that, wow, I, I've been given the privilege of this life and... Um, i didn't know my history i Mm. didn't really want to know my history at Mm. that point anyway but i just Mm. had a sense that i was very privileged um and so i just thought well i I just want to make sure that as many people around me feel privileged about their life and the opportunities so going rock climbing and skiing and canoeing and doing all those outside pursuits because i knew for me as a 15 year old boy and 16 year old boy a lot of me and my mates were getting into some things that weren't good yeah and um yeah, so I was you know, challenged about that and True. felt like I wanted to give yeah. time to people.
0: Did God figure at all? Were, were, you, were you brought up with any kind of Christian input?
1: No, I, the only Christian input I had, I went to Sunday school a couple of times when yeah. I was a toddler. Uh, my mum took us along to a little Methodist church, which is an amazing little church in our town. And I went to uh, church parade occasionally, but it was a bit of a... It was a bit of a laugh, you know. I mean, yeah. my mates, we all sat in the front row, and a couple of people tried to get money out of the collection and, you know, <laughs> nick a few sweets out. Of, you know, it was, it was a bit of fun, really. And yeah. I didn't really,
0: take any I don't of think it I respected seriously, yeah. God or
1: thought yeah. God was real necessarily. or mm. I just thought it was a part of being a scout, a yeah. duty. You yeah. went to church for church parade, and that was it. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, um, just take us a bit further forward in the story. Um, I know that the way you eventually did bump into God involved a girl yeah you were into the girls so, so tell <laughs> us a little bit about, about the well the what actually
1: this. happened was I, I uh, at school you know when you're starting to get the decision about the pro the, the sort of it's all coming to a head about what you're going to do with your life yeah. and I, I wanted to be a car mechanic electrical engineer or a chef I absolutely love cooking in the scouts and cooking breakfast for everybody and all that sort of thing and I worked out that actually being a car mechanic, mechanic electrician uh, being a chef, and I thought, right, I'm going you know, to be a chef, go to college. So I learned to be a chef, found myself doing work experience in lots of different places, and ended up working in a ski resort, uh, which was an absolutely amazing privilege. Because and, you
0: got to combine yeah, both the things you love. Oh, I'd <laughs> yeah. gone skiing with the school
1: and absolutely yeah. addicted in skiing. Yeah. But my parents said to me, well, I don't think you could be a ski instructor, because if you get injured, you're not <laughs> going to be able to have a career. So I thought, well, if I do sk- chefing and i could always ski and that was the yeah that was the kind of buzz of that uh yeah and so i i just came down one weekend to a friend's party and um it was a great bash it was a good laugh and everything and uh, and i just spotted this absolutely amazing girl as suddenly hanging out with all my mates so i was like said to one of my mates whoa who's she and uh they said oh that's paula and i said "God, oh, she's gorgeous you know like <laughs> and uh and one of my mates said yeah, she is amazing. She's, like, she's unbelievable. She's, like, up for the crack. She comes to Venture Scout staff. She loves camping and all that sort of thing. And I said, what? A gorgeous girl like that yeah. loves camping and stuff? That is amazing. <laughs> Who's going out with her? And they said, oh, she doesn't go out with anyone. And I was like, what do you mean? They said, well, she's, she's like, amazing, but she's a Christian. And so she has this kind of thing about... That, you know, the person she goes out with is probably going to be the person she marries maybe, or, you know, she just is very fussy. I don't know. They're all saying <laughs> loads of different stuff, you know? So I sort of rated myself a little bit. So I thought, right, I'll, I'll try and so This, is a, yeah, this is a challenge sort kind of Yeah, this is sort of a challenge. and you know, I'm only here for a weekend, so I'll sort of challenge that. So <laughs> I, I tried every move I possibly knew that had worked in previous situations, but definitely not this situation. And, um, yeah, I just sort of thought, wow, she's, you know, the first time I think in memory I've met a Christian girl who's stunning, amazing, and um, is absolutely not up for compromise. Yeah, um, yeah, And that was quite shocking. I thought, wow, this is really amazing. She really, yeah. she really means this, you know. And did, did that not put that I've met off? many Christians, did, to be honest.
0: <laughs> did that put you off, or did it only kind of increase your intrigue?
1: I think it increased my intrigue until the next day. And the next day we went away camping and yeah. we were climbing somewhere or doing something together. And uh, we were sitting around the fire at night, we're having a chat and having a few beers and, you know, a bit of a drink and so on. And um, uh, slowly, one or two of my mates were getting a little bit drunk and sort of slowly falling asleep or whatever. But this intense conversation started as one of my friends, beautiful starlit sky, sort of declared, you know, I wonder what happens to us when we die.
0: Mm.
1: And of course, it then went on around the circle, everyone randomly saying the most bizarre things, you know, I think I'm coming back as a donkey, you know, I think I'm going to be reincarnated as a bait bean, you know, all kinds of mad stuff, just sort of taking the in, I suppose, out of his deep philosophical question. Um, but it got to Paula, and Paula just started to talk about the fact that she knew what was going to happen to her when she died, that she was going to be like with Jesus, that she was going to be part of this kingdom, the mm. kingdom of God, and spoke about all this sort of stuff and I can remember it so vividly like so clearly even now mm. talking about it. Out it
0: was, of all these silly zany answers yeah, yeah, she, yeah. It, she had this kind of yeah, assurance.
1: Assurance but you know what it really annoyed me like I was really really like livid with her because I thought it is true then she is trying to brainwash my mates and what's going to happen when I come back next time and everyone's going to church on Sunday and all doing good you know just totally, their lives have changed so I was, I was a little bit annoyed but everyone started going to bed and so on into their tents and that and Paula, cut up to the shower block, uh, to the toilets, and um, so I managed to kind of creep up on her in the woods, as you do. <laughs> and uh, I sort of just said to look Paula, like, "You, you know, I think you're amazing and stuff like that, and I think it's brilliant you're hanging out with my mates and stuff, and you know, you're a quality person. But I just think that you're probably trying to brainwash my friends. And um, you know, I'm leaving tomorrow, going back to my going back to my work, and uh, you know, we ended up having a little bit of a sort of argument, although. Right. Not that Paula argued back, she was just <laughs> listening, I was more arguing with her. Um, and uh, yeah, I suppose I left um, with a little bit of a heavy heart, because I just thought, wow, if my friends will start going to church, it's gonna be really, they're going to be so boring, it's going to happen to all the crazy things we do. And uh, yeah, I did head, uh, so the next day I headed back to uh, where I was working, and I was travelling on a night train, and uh, I, I know the language now, but I didn't know the language mm. then. But basically mm. what happened was, in the on the train, I could, I... Missed the train I was meant to be on, had to miss the night sleeper. So I had to go on a night train, which just had seats on it. Mm. And um, it was pretty crazy in the carriage at the time and, and lots of noise and a few drunken people in there and so on. And I remember looking out the window and it was just the sort of the sun was setting and you start to see. Now you can see a reflection inside the carriage. And to be honest, I was trying to make sure I was avoiding eye contact with people in the <laughs> carriage. That I thought this could be trouble tonight. And um, so I just sort of was fixing my gaze outside the window. And then I sort of caught a really deep reflection of myself in the window. And I started to think, wow, what are you doing with your life? Like, Mm. you know, you're so selfish. You know, you're living for yourself. You're living for Mm. your passions and your dreams and what you want to achieve. And you want to be a great chef and you want to ski, you know, around the world. I had a plan with some of the guys I was working with. We were going to sort of travel as many resorts we could Mm. around the world Mm. and all this kind of thing. And, um, And I think, you know, I could... Like as if it was my parents that maybe would eat in the restaurant. So I always tried to do like the best and and had a little bit of an arrogance around that. And I just felt all I can, you know, the language I know now is God was convicting me. But I just felt I wanted to scrub inside. I wanted to clean me. I wanted to, Mm. I couldn't, not that I'd ever really done anything massively badly wrong. But I just felt really cut up about my life and brokenness, I think, about, you know, I don't know, just a lot of things. And so I just found myself writing my notice out on a bit of paper that I got from the guard and from the train and got off the train, went straight to my uh, chef's office and left it on his desk. It's one of those chefs that yeah, shouted at You handed in so, your notice. Yeah, handed in my notice. Wow. I had no job to go to. I didn't know why I was doing this. I was leaving my whole mates. So I'd been there for like three years, yeah. absolutely loving it. And, and uh, yeah, and I came back uh, after working a month's notice back to, back to England and back to my town and um, yeah, back hanging out with my friends again. And of course, Paula, who was very central to that group, um, there were lots of stories happening, lots mm. of things i couldn 't work out scientifically or right. just in normal life that things that were going on i 'd heard some stories of you know she 'd prayed for a couple of people they 'd been healed of illnesses and different things like that and I okay. just thought this is this is strange okay. this is weird mm.
0: so, so we 're coming closer to the crunch point at this point um, this this enigma Paula has obviously had probably without her maybe knowing it that much, a big impact on your life. Effectively, that weekend saw you pack in your job. You're looking for something. Um, you still like this girl, yeah. but you can't work her out. Yeah. Um, so tell us what happened next, because um, I understand there was an encounter in a pub, if my memory serves me right, that was fairly critical to your yeah. story.
1: Yeah, so we were all out having a drink one night, and uh, we were all my friends, and... Uh, it was a bizarre thing. We just started talking about different injuries that people had and some of the lads had rugby injuries and football injuries and some of the girls had different sort of stuff, you know, and we were just talking about that and I, I, when I was in scouts, uh, I had a really bad knee injury where I ended up in hospital. I fell over, hit a, a log that was sticking out of the ground and smashed my kneecap and ended up in hospital and had a lot of treatment. I had a lot of physio, which I quite enjoyed because I got out of school a couple (laughs) of times a week, which was fantastic. Um, And they pretty much said when you get older, you probably might need an operation on the cartilage and so on, or maybe some shaving of the bone or whatever, but we'll just have to see. So it wasn't Mm. like a definite, but it was just Mm. to see. But I knew that I had pain pretty much most of the time in my knee. But you know, you live with it and you you don't take painkillers because you just sort of deal with it and you... Uh, and particularly in the winter in the damp and in the cold in the mountains and skiing and stuff put a lot of pressure on it so we were all talking about different things and everyone had different injuries but I was the only person with a leg injury and when I told uh, when I was saying about my injury Paula said well my parents they've prayed for a few people who've had leg injuries recently and they've seen like little miracles happening like people getting better and stuff so I was like oh great that's cool and so one of my mates said, "Oh, you should get like Paula's mum to pray for you." And I went, no I'm, "No, I'm not up for that. Don't worry about that." I was just embarrassed, I think. And and Paula said, "Well, why don't you why don't you let my mum pray for you?" And then suddenly it became the macho thing. Right? Like <laughs> I had to sort of like couldn't I had to couldn't admit that. I'd, yeah, you know, yeah, okay. I was like, "Yeah, I'll do that. I'm up for it." And yeah, so yeah. so she said, "Well, they're in the pub tonight." And
0: <laughs> Sprung and that so one was on like, you. Oh, no, and everyone's
1: going, "Go and talk to her mum." So anyway, <laughs> so we we walked across the pub and. Uh, and there was her mum and dad having dinner. And I, because I had a little bit of a reputation, I think I'm, I'm not sure if her mum massively liked me at the time. <laughs> and so she tapped her mum on the shoulder and said, oh, mum, this is Paul. So she turned around and sort of went, so you're Paul? <laughs> and I was like, hi, oh, are you all right? And uh, so um, anyway, so her mum, she told her mum, look, Paul's got this bad knee thing. You know, you've prayed, mum, for a few people that have been healed like, of knee problems and leg problems. Would you pray for Paul? Now, I'm thinking that means... And I'm really grac- grateful. I'm saying, oh, thank you very much. That's really nice. Because I'm thinking it's like a candle in the church. Or yeah, going she'll in go your off bedroom.
0: Do, do a little bed. Yeah, do a little thing and so prayer, on. Yeah. But
1: I, so I'm about to walk away. <laughs> and um, I know a few people having dinner in there. So I'm like, oh, you know, what's and <laughs> suddenly the hand comes under the tablecloth. And next thing I know, the hand is on my knee. And she's, she's obviously praying, saying a couple of words. I couldn't really hear what she was saying, but I just heard the amen. And I was like thank you uh, and started to walk away and all I can say is that and you've got to remember this is like I've never been prayed for I've never experienced anything like this myself or seen it and it happened to anyone else so I'm walking back to where my friends are all by now all peering <laughs> over going yeah, you know a sort of you know he's, he's chatting up the mum sort of type thing and yeah, so we walked across the um, pub and all I can say is my knee was burning it was like really hot and I thought is that just like because she had her hand on it quickly or what was going on and Anyway, by the time I sat down, it was really hot. And uh, so I rolled my sort of trouser up and I was saying, boys, look, look. And everyone's like, whoa, that's boiling. What's going on? And all I can say is that from that day to now, I've never had any problems with my knee. I've never had any pain, apart from, you know, little football knocks when you play and stuff like that. But I've never had any pain in it. All the sort of the damp sort of thing, I don't know if it was arthritis or what it was, um, absolutely disappeared that night and has wow. never come back ever. So it really made me go... Wow, this is weird. This is not, like, the experience I've had of going to church parade and seeing (laughs) church buildings and all of that. This is, like, real. This is, like, living. This is, like... It sort of freaked me out a little bit, but also it made me intrigued. But the thing it didn't stop was I was now really passionate to... I really wanted to go out with Paula. (laughs) So so the journey was that after that i a couple of weeks after because we had this real bust-up argument where i said look i've seen jesus he is dead i've seen him on the cross outside buildings he's dead he's not alive you know because we had these kind of conversations where i'd say will you go out with me?" and she said no and i'd say why and she'd say well our values would be different our lives would be so different i don't want to bring my children up like this you'd want to do with this thing this sort of stuff with your money and we would never we'd always disagree about things so i it made me angry. So in a way, I just sort of said, right, that's it. I'm going to, what can I do? So I came up with this scheming little plan. This is all pre-Christian, by the way. But I came up with this little plan. I would take her out on a date and, and lie to her and say that we're all going. All my mates are going. And she was up for all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she just wouldn't go on a date just with me. So I set her up and said, well, we're all going to the cinema. I'll pick you up when we get there, you know, and so on. Uh, so anyway, so I'm, we're driving there. And she said, oh, who are we picking up? I said, oh, we're running late. We just have to meet them there. So, of course, I get the tickets, uh, you know, going to the cinema. She's like, where is everybody? And I'm like, oh, they must be sitting over. There. Let's just sit here. And then, of course, she's, she's wise enough she's to, right to set that. her up. So she's, it's the first time I saw her a little bit cross, which is funny. Um, and anyway, yeah, so she, she was obviously a little bit cross. And we got out. Yeah. She said, I can't believe you've done that to me."
0: sorry we get a, a fire alarm every uh, every friday at 11 we'll just pick up straight where we left from okay and pick up so you're saying um so she was a little bit cross with you
1: yeah cross as she gets but yeah she was cross and uh so we got in the car and on the way home in the car um she didn't really talk so I was sort of trying to get her to talk about you know I'm sorry I didn't mean to do it I won't do it again and all that sort of thing and um you know, I pulled up around the corner from her house, hoping to maybe get a little cuddle for taking her to the cinema. <laughs> that definitely wasn't happening. And, and she... Um, so I, I don't know why I did it. It was crazy. Now, I look back on it. I don't know why I actually did this, but I just sort of said to her, right, that's it. I want to see your vicar, like your minister, whoever it is. And I want to, I've got to tell him a few things. Like, it's, <laughs> I mean, so arrogant. I look back on it. I don't even know what I was going to say to him, but I just, it just... I think I was trying to be macho in front of her. I don't know. But what did happen was she... Took me at my word and set up a meeting with her, um, one of her church leaders, who's actually an evangelist, who's currently planting churches in the East End. His name's Mike Hewitt. He's an amazing guy. And um, so I, I went, I went round, We went round to the house. Two days later, she set this thing up. Now I'm really thinking, my gosh, what have I done? I'm actually going to go and see a church leader. What am I going to say? Like, I've never, apart from the vicar at sort of youth club a couple of times, where we got in trouble. I'm like thinking, oh no, I've never spoken to anyone who's a church leader or a vicar. So we're heading round to the house. And I was really clear with Paula. I said, right, the first thing is nothing... I'm not drinking anything in case they put some sort of potion in it and I sort of have a vision of Jesus, not eating anything in case it's spiked. Um, I know you Christians hug a little bit, no hugs. Uh, I don't want to hear that sort of hug stuff. And I said, I'm definitely not looking into anybody's eyes because if you do any sort of like tricks on me, you know, and sort of brainwash me, I, I'm not... So I'm just going to be a bit weird, Paula. So I'm having i go- sort of I'm sort of telling Paula in the garden what I'm going to be like and she's, you know... Oh, don't be silly. And anyway, of course, we open the door and there's just a beautiful couple. And Jill, his wife, just sort of, as the door opens, she just gives me a big hug and I'm like, you know, and, uh, and she's like, I've made some cakes. Would you like one? And I'm like, no, I'm fine, thanks. And you like a cup of tea? No, I'm all right. And glass of water? No, I'm totally fine. And of course, we go in and um, Mike Hewitt, he's sitting in his lounge. And uh, he actually looked a little bit like Jesus, if you could imagine what Jesus looked like. And, and I sat down. And I, I, to be honest, I can't really remember what he said that night. He talked quite a bit. And it was obviously good stuff, um, probably. But what did happen was he got to this bit where he started to talk about Jesus dying. And if you died tonight, do you think you'd be right with God and stuff? And I, I couldn't really answer that question because I wasn't sure in what form I believed in God. Um, and he started to talk about Jesus on the cross now, Jesus was nailed to the cross and, you know, was whipped and had been beaten and had this horrible trial and all that sort of thing. And then while he was on the cross, one of the things that he cried out was, you know, Dad, Dad, why have you forsaken me? Or why have you thrown me away? Now, of course, for me hearing that, it was honestly like the world stopped. It was like I was the only person alive. Everyone in the room froze. Um, nothing else was happening in the planet. That that moment, it was just me sitting there on the sofa and it's like, you know, when you watch those movies and that sort of thing happens, it really felt like a matrixy type moment where I was just like totally in my own little kind of world, just sort of – it so hit me so hard because the secret that I never, ever told anybody, no one knew, I never even told my parents, never told my best friend, is that every night since that night in the playground when my friend said, you've been thrown away, every single night when I went to bed – I would consider, like, why was I thrown away? Was I an ugly baby? Was I, like, just loud and screaming? Was I, you know, was I, you know, victim? Was my mum raped? Was, you know, all kinds of things that I think about and that for many, many years, you know, for 20 years, well, not 20 years, but for how many years since I was five or six, of hearing, thinking that all the time um, was massive. So here I am in a room hearing that God's son, if that was real, felt like he'd been thrown away. And I just heard myself saying, like, if that's what happened to Jesus, then I I want to follow this man. How do I meet with him? And I heard myself saying that almost like I was so shocked that I was saying it. But it really hit me. Even talking now, I can feel the same feeling I had then, the same emotion, the same, like, wow, that's unbelievable that the Son of God, like, felt that agony and torment and pain and suffering on the cross. So... Yeah, so I, like I said, I found myself saying, "Well, then I'll follow him." And that night, you know, a few moments later, I just bowed my head and, you know, confessed and asked for forgiveness and gave my life to Jesus. And in that moment, I said, "You know, Jesus, I've been living for myself, and and now I want to live for you, and I want to do what you want me to do the rest of my life, and keep me humble, and Mm. and yeah, and I, yeah, I just was, yeah, totally." transformed in that moment and yeah left the house that night to uh yeah just a new life really and everything changed from that moment if I'm honest in so many ways
0: and I guess you discovered along the way that anyone who calls himself a Christian has been adopted yeah adopted by God as sons and daughters and that there's this sense in which your story is very much in what you went through is kind of the Christian story as well.
1: Yeah, and I think I think I've, I discovered adoption. I discovered that the adoption actually was an amazing thing, mm-hmm. Like that we actually yeah. adopted by our Father in heaven. Uh, to be forgiven is like an amazing thing. To become part of a family, mm-hmm. a family of people that you don't even know, mm-hmm. like half of them, and never maybe will even meet of them. But you go into a room and meet people fo- that are yeah. following Jesus, and you realise we're all one family, yeah. all different yeah. skin colours, backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. And it was suddenly so... So amazing to yeah. experience that, that love.
0: It's a fantastic story, Paul. Thank you for sharing it. I want to, in the next section of the program, explore what happened after that, how you got into the ministry you're in, your passion for young people, um, and all the ways that's worked itself out in ministry. And of course, we should mention you went on to marry Paula. Yes, right? yeah, yes. That's, that's the <laughs> most amazing thing. you
1: yeah, went on to marry Paula and we've had a couple of kids and, yeah, it's been, she's an amazing woman. It's been so. an
0: amazing ride. Well, well, we'll get the next section of the story in just a moment's time. Uh, my guest on The Profile today is Paul Weston. He's a church leader out in Sidcup for Next Gen Church. He's been talking to us about how he met Jesus. What an amazing story. I'm Justin Briley, uh, presenter on The Profile this week. Uh, don't forget, you can find more amazing stories and testimonies in Premier Christianity magazine. I'm the senior editor. If you want a free sample copy of the latest one, go to premierchristianity.com slash freesample and join us again in a few minutes' time the profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio.
1: Where faith comes to life.
0: Welcome back to the second part of this week's profile with me Justin Briley, here on Premier Christian Radio as part of Faith Explored and brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine. And if you want to read the testimony of Paul Weston, my guest on today's profile, uh, then do go to the latest January edition of the magazine. That's at premierchristianity.com, add slash free sample to ask for a free sample copy of the mag. If you've never subscribed before, we'd love to send you a free copy. Uh, here on the profile, we talk to people about their walk of Christian Life. Uh, All kinds of different people join me. Uh, Paul here is a church leader of uh, New Generation Church in Sidcup. Um, What's the website if people want to find out more about the church?
1: It's uh, www.newgen.org.uk. And it's part of the Pioneer Network, isn't it? it? Just
0: briefly explain what Pioneer is. Uh,
1: Pioneer is one of the what was one of the new church sort of networks? I mean, uh, no longer new because it started many, many years ago. <laughs> but when the new churches, new frontiers, and pioneer and those sort and light and so on, it was one of those emerging <clears throat> sort of church networks. And so, churches all around the country in the UK, around the world, actually uh, headed up by Billy Kennedy at the moment. Right. Um, it's p- formerly led by Gerald Coates yeah. and the team.
0: I mean, I can imagine as that young teenager, you couldn't possibly have imagined yourself leading a church. I mean, that would have. Probably been the most alien thing you could have imagined yourself doing. Yeah. Um, yet here you are. And um, what was the process once you had become a Christian that kind of led you down this particular path? Why why did you not go back to skiing and chefing and that kind of thing?
1: Well, the first thing that happened was that night that I became a Christian, um, I went round to my best friend's house, uh, I'm not realizing it was 11 o'clock uh, at night, and knocked on his door. Um, to wanted to tell him what had just happened to me because I felt so different. I couldn't mm. really explain it. I dropped Paula off, and that was the main. Yeah, but I see you. I just couldn't go and wait to tell my friend what had happened to me. And uh, and he came down uh, the down the steps, and we had a chat on the on the on the. The doorstep and he said well you better come in and so I told and the funny thing was he, I, he said to me what's happened to you you look weird what's, what's happened I said no you need to understand like, I can't believe it I've become a Christian and he was like oh no I knew Paul would get to you I was like no it's not nothing to do with Paul necessarily I honestly like and I explained what happened to me and so on and he was working early the next morning and uh, he sort of, like, oh, I've got to go to sleep mate you know like so I left and uh, went home and I got a phone call the next day uh, from his mum saying some really sad things happened that I uh, 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 he'd been in a car crash, a serious car crash, that morning on the way to work. And uh, so I was really gutted. And, of course, it was pre-mobile days, really, Mm -hmm. and um, I was working in London. So when I came back, I went round to his house to find out, like, what happened and Mm -hmm. so on. And um, he was there. And I was like, well, wait a minute, I thought you had, like, a really bad car crash. He said, honestly, he said, it's mad. He said, I was driving my car uh, at 6 o'clock in the morning and I skidded, lost control in front of a bus, uh, on the ice and hit a traffic um, island. Uh, the car was rolled a couple of times, apparently. The roof was smashed off. They had to get me out of the ambulance and all those sort of things. Um, as I was brought out of the car, I heard an audible voice say to me, I've called you for a purpose. And um, so I went to hospital. They did some checks on me. There's nothing wrong with me. I came out and I thought, well, I've, it must be this Jesus that Paul talked to me about last night. Wow. So he went down to find Paul, where Paul's... Per- we well, We went to a church just in our town, and unfortunately there was no one there. I think it was a Monday. That they don't same work day. On that same, same moment. Yeah, he'd right. been a crash in the morning <laughs> by lunchtime. He was trying to find a church to talk to someone about what had just happened to him, in this voice that he'd heard, I've saved you for a purpose. And uh, so he couldn't find that, but he ended up at Paul's parents, because that's the only next place he thought he could go, and uh, he gave his life to Jesus that afternoon. <laughs> so, so by from, the
0: time you met your friend again yeah, the following day, yeah. from framing out of his house Christ- pretty much. He yeah. was a Christian. He was a Christian. That's... That is extraordinary.
1: And so what happened was then over the next few days, like we saw quite a few of my friends. So it happened to be when Billy Graham was over um, at Crystal Palace Mm. and we'd got some tickets for it. And the guy I was working with um, at the time, I sort of said to him, "Oh, why don't you come? Why don't you come to Crystal Palace?" He's like, oh, "I don't really want to come," and so on. And then on the day it was happening that week, same week, he decided, "Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to come to that." So we went to Crystal Palace, and actually, we had a few friends of ours that weren't Christians went to Crystal Palace. I didn't know who Billy Graham was. You know, I'd just seen the posters all around town on bus stops and so on. And uh, so we went to the, the Billy Graham thing at um, Crystal Palace, and I got to be honest, I didn't even know Billy Graham had spoken because I didn't know what sort of happens to these things. And suddenly my friends were standing up and walking down the steps. And I sort of said, well, where are you going? What's happening? I thought we are going for, a, you know, get some ice cream or something. And they said, we're going down. We're going to get... Have you heard what you just said? And I was like, no, not really. I oh, wasn't concentrating. Yeah, I was sort of just in awe of this many people go to yeah. church, you know. And what happened was my friends, yeah, were responding to the message and going down to meet with counsellors to be prayed for to become Christians. So kind of like in the first week, suddenly I had about seven or eight of my friends who became Christians. And um, so... I sort of said to Paula, what what should we do? And she said, well, why don't you write all the names of all your friends on the list and start praying for them? Like every day, just start praying for them. And I said, well, yeah, I could do that. But why don't I ask my friends to pray for them as well? We could meet every night. So we started meeting at 10 o'clock at night till about midnight around my friend's house. I would read the Bible going, I'd never read the Bible before, (laughs) apart from RE. And our teacher was a a philosophy teacher and we hardly did any RE, but um, Bible stuff anyway. And so I'd hardly read the Bible, but I was reading the Bible going to work. And then I'd sort of highlight a few bits. And I'd speak on that with my friends <laughs> in the evening. Probably all sorts of heresy, probably. I <laughs> don't know what we're talking about. And and then we'd pray. We'd break bread. Um, and and we'd pray for this list of people. And just slowly, as the weeks went on, we saw like loads of them becoming Christians, getting healed, becoming Christians. Um, yeah, amazing. Also, we saw quite a few people really, like, against us, mm. and what the heck are you guys doing? Yeah. This is like, you're Thought a cold, you're mad. weird, you've been yeah. brainwashed, you know,
0: all that kind of thing. So, yeah, so it's pretty pretty it, amazing. It, just a whirlwind, basically. Yeah. And, and what an introduction to Christian living. And in a way, that your experience kind of feels like kind of the way Christianity should be, almost. It, it should be an adventure, an amazing thing. And sometimes we, we kind of like to tame it into a kind of a little bit of a box, yeah. and, and you know, we think, oh, well, we can't possibly, you know, sort of let someone who's only just become a Christian start leading a group yeah. <laughs> in a <Yeah>. prayer group, <laughs> yeah. and teaching them from the Bible. But kind of God works in ways that sometimes are outside our box, basically. Yeah. 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 It, so I guess this was maybe a, in a funny way a little taster of what you would end up doing, which was full time Christian ministry
1: yeah so yeah so what happened was um, I think one night and Paula very wisely said you know perhaps guys we should you know go and you know go to her church um, which is amazing and um, uh, Mike Hewitt was one of the leaders there and Dave Holden and so on they're amazing people and really got Mm. got, got on board you know supported us and really mentored this group that came into the church Um, and and I always remember those little moments sitting there thinking you know I started to see people going down the front to share things on microphones Mm. and share what they felt God's saying and pray for each other and, and all this. In fact, the funny thing was I sat, first time I ever went there, I sat behind a guy that um, I'd really thought was a bit weird at school, you know, because <laughs> he was a Christian and he was a bit strange and that. And I said, wow, you know, we sort of, oh, What are those weird and he Christians was that? So I was there. He turned around and went, oh, I can't believe you. I was really worried when you came in. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Because I'm like, that bad, you know. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I think what happened was we... Um, after a few months I started working with uh, the youth program and the youth leaders at the time were moving back to South Africa or something. And so we were asked, um, you know, Paul and I got married by the way, and mm. um, we were now married and young married couple. And um, we had a real passion for young people. And so they said, would you like to take over the youth group? So mm. we really, I suppose we learned more about ministry, serving, um, learning more about the Bible, going on leadership mm. training and all those sort mm. of things. And, uh, really started to grow in that and we, yeah. our youth group grew we saw a lot of people becoming christians yeah. a lot of young people reaching out to other young people yeah. doing a lot of events and so on and uh, yeah it's really exciting it's a real yeah. privilege to see that happen
0: i mean over the course of time you would, would take up ministry at uh, new generation church um how long have you been effectively the, the lead pastor there
1: Do you know what? I actually can't remember. It's probably about, I don't know, maybe 12 years or something like that. Maybe, yeah. I'd have to double check. Um, But what happened there was that we were working churches together in town quite a lot. And we were involved in the youth drop-in in in our high street. Mm. And Peter and Linda Lyne, who had been church planting in New Zealand, but they were part of the original kind of founding sort of fathers of the new church and mothers Mm. of the new church um, with um, Arthur Wallace and those guys back in the day. And they were church planting in New Zealand, came back to Sidcup to take over a small church called Acorn, and develop that church into a new generation and with a real emphasis of reaching the next generation sure. and we really felt that God spoke to us about becoming mm. part of that church as a whole another story but we felt God called us to be part of yeah. working with that church so we went there just to serve to be part of the yeah. church yeah. and Peter asked us if we would take on a leadership role overseeing the young people there and then work part-time for the church developing evangelism yeah. and youth programs so
0: that's what we started doing. Yeah. I mean, one of those aspects of that outreach you've done is Lark in the Park, which has been a huge success. I mean, you get I think over three thousand people turning up in the summer for yeah. this event yeah. in Sidcup. Um very much uh, an interchurch event, I think as yeah. well, but but one that was birthed through through you guys and how did that idea come about and just explain what it is
1: yeah so we were running a shop in the high street called Generation X which was just that for an outreach for young people to come to mm-hmm. sort of you know a night y sort of thing and a snooker room and all those kind of things and lots of activities coming out of that and uh, but we realized that um, our town was changing our cinema closed down our swimming pool closed down There was lots of transition and change mm-hmm. happening and there wasn't really a lot of things for people to go to and we had just taken over a warehouse Um, sort of derelict warehouse right in the middle of town in a derelict area where uh, we started a project there Um, seeing lots and lots of young people coming to a project called the works Um, we're having around 500 young people from the area turning up to a you know a non-alcoholic cocktail bar disco sort of night with snooker room and all kinds of things so that was really going well but we realized that we really wanted to um, really bring the community together because we recognized that there was no real gatherings for the community for people to come together so we put a glorified gazebo up i suppose in the middle of a park um for a few days and it pretty much rained every day a lot of our kit got ruined um but that was the birthing of lark in the park we Mm. had a few parents Mm. say to us oh you should do a kids club well we'd love to have a kids club up here so so the next year we actually had a proper tent a marquee uh, we ran a kids club, I think we had about 150 children turn up mm. for it, which kind of shocked us a little yeah. bit. We were like, whoa, they're trusting us with like, <laughs> oh, you know, it was all really serious. And um, and, then, and then what happened was we realised that uh, it would be really good to run a zone for every kind of group of people in our community. Yeah. So Larkins Park grew with it, then had a preschool club, it had a prim- two primary school clubs, it's got a, a club for just for for mums. It's got a club for uh, key stage one and key stage two children. It's got a club for youth, a club for the over sixty five it's called Freedom. And it just started to really grow None. like that. And of course, as we grew it, one of our passions was that it wouldn't just be a new gen event; it would be a new gen. Uh, it'd be an event that was uh, championed and and run together by the churches in our town.
0: Yeah. yeah, and and it has been been an amazing example of what you can do and the the, the difference you can make. Um. I mean, how upfront are you? I mean, I guess a lot of people go along thinking, oh, this looks like a fun day out with the kids or whatever. Um, do they know they're coming to what is fundamentally a Christian event? I mean, how does the gospel get shared with people in that kind of a context?
1: Well, um, a Lark in the Park is 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 run by the churches, so people yeah. know it's a church event. Yeah. They yeah. know openly that there's going to be prayer, there's going to yeah. be testimonies and stories in yeah. all the venues, and yeah. uh, people know that's, that's what's going on. And... Uh, And yeah, lots of people do respond, uh, do become Christians, do join local churches in the area, do get prayed for, Mm. do get a free meal uh, because they're hungry, uh, do get help from food bank, do get help from debt advice and counselling and all sorts of things, and also... Uh, for many people, it is just a fantastic time, something to do in the long summer holidays. So I had a yeah. mum come up to me once who was a little bit cross and she went, oh, I want a word with you. And I was like, oh, sorry, what's, what's you know, is you okay? She said, no, I'm a little bit cross today. And I was like, oh, what is that? And she said, well, we're all going to Chessington today. Uh, we planned to go to Chessington. And my kids said, we don't want to go to Chessington. We want to go to Lark in the Park. And so I said, well, you know, she sort of laughed about it. I said, well, you give us the money if you want. But, um, but yeah, so there's those. I think it's a long summer for parents, yeah. Yeah. you know, and particularly yeah. for mums. I think it's yeah. a long time. And, so how, and then, how long does Larkin' the Park last then? So it's on for 16 days. Yeah. So it's two weeks and three weekends. Yeah. There's evening events, there's free food. Uh, we do banquets for, you know, 250 people. Wow. Uh, we have all sorts of activities. Uh, it, it, from... It's a
0: major event then in the in the calendar of the, the town.
1: In yeah, in fact, yeah. of our borough, you know, yeah. it's borough wide. Yeah. I think we yeah. had, this year, I think we had over 45 schools represented wow. from the borough and uh, people of all ages from, yeah. you know, babies yeah. right up to our freedom zone, which is for mm. the over 65s. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah. lots and lots
0: of people. And And you say you've seen people... Come all the way through in terms of getting involved with church becoming Christians yeah
1: so yeah on. we have a chapel there and so we run Alpha there every day mm. and we have Thought of the Day and we run on our outdoor stage part Life where people sit there's a lot of entertainment on there but also yeah. there are testimonies and stories and prayers from the front and so on and, uh, yeah, not just in our church, but churches all across the area. In fact, beyond our area, people mm. have become Christians or have been in, more interested yeah. in the Christian faith and then yeah. gone along to find a church that suits them. So we often hear lots of different stories throughout the yeah. year of different people yeah. that say, oh, I went to Larkin the Park. And, yeah. of course, now it happens in other places in the UK. Mm. People have come and seen it or their leaders have come and seen mm. it and then gone away and started a small version yeah. and it's grown. Yeah. And, in fact, it's happening around the world in different places now as well. Brilliant. But we're not... Running that, how we do it is you come sure. and kind of see and you take your version yeah. of it and go and do it. Yeah. And um, we share some good practice and stuff. Fantastic. But that's yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and and in terms of the church that you're leading, um, how have you seen that progress over the years that you've been involved?
1: Yeah, so we've, we've grown uh, uh, together as a family. Uh, we were quite a small church when we first started out, mm. uh, when Paul and I were first involved in the church. We now meet in the cinema in the centre of the borough. Uh, we become a borough-wide church. Um, to be honest, the south, the south of the borough where I lived was predominantly a white community mm-hmm. in terms of skin colour. Um, moving into the centre of the borough uh, meant that we've become much more diverse, which is yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so I think we've changed in in many ways. Doing Lark in the Park, and that has changed us from being a church that's not just about wanting to meet together on a Sunday, but wanting to serve our whole community. Yeah. And I think yeah. our Strap Line is... Um, new generation church making good things happen right. obviously the the goodest if that's even the right word <laughs> the best thing could ever happen is of course someone meets jesus and yeah. they find that yeah. he loves them and yeah. has an eternal relationship with him and so on but but while we're here as well we want to make good things happen sure. for people and yeah. i think especially in austerity and some of the mm. difficulties we could all moan and groan about that or we could say well, let's do something about yeah. that and of course lots and that well, hundreds of churches are stepping up to that and making a difference
0: and one of the the most interesting ways recently that you've been stepping out into a, another new area is is through school's work and particularly through beginning a school which yeah. which is I can imagine a huge undertaking um, tell us about the school that you've been involved in helping to set up
1: yeah well in our church we've got lots of people that are teachers head teachers involved in education in different ways and I you know to absolutely champion teachers what a mm. hard job they do and what mm. a tough world it is to be a teacher in and fantastic jobs they do and uh, so in our town we had uh, an issue where there wasn't really enough school places our schools were oversubscribed I've been the school governor for about sort of nine years in the school I actually went to as a child and um, it was uh, really scary to think that was going on and suddenly the government released this idea of the free school movement mm. uh, the free school program So I was reading the local paper um, uh, one day and it had a story of a private school that unfortunately, due to austerity and so on, was closing and the building was going to just be vacant. And I just thought I felt like an impression, a whisper, whatever you Mm. want to call it, of, you know, you should start a free school there. Not really even knowing what a free school was, not even really knowing (laughs) what an academy was, really, if I'm honest. And so I got a bunch of people together. Um, around a kitchen table, around someone's house, and said, Guys, look, I had this mad idea, felt a bit of an impression, a whisper from God about us maybe starting a free school. Like, you know, what do you, what do you all think about that? And of course, around the room, everyone had either had a dream, had a vision for their life, you know, to start a school one day. Wow. And this was some teachers, yeah. uh, education, some head teachers, some teachers, and just some sort of community activist people. So we sort of went, Well, let's have a, have a look at it. So we went onto the website to find out how you apply. And the closing date was in two days' time. So um, we thought it was just an expression of interest because someone on the team said, oh, it's just an expression of interest. You just fill the form in and send it okay. off. So, of course, we, myself and Paula and someone else, we met to, to meet, to, uh, Debbie, met to meet to plan this. And uh, I clicked the print button to print the form out and went upstairs to get the, the print out. And I could hear it still printing. 365 pages later, <laughs> it was still printing. And... It had so many sections so many questions so many well thought through things you had to do we realized that we were not going to make the deadline for tomorrow yeah. but what did happen is we got a team of people together both from the church and outside the church mm. and um started to dream about what a school could look like yeah. on an estate to mm. serve you know the needy to serve people mm. that um would like a different type of school we found out that there was uh, one particular parent that was having to travel a long way to a school mm. because there weren't school places in the area and mm. So on. so we worked with the local heads, we talked to the local council, the local authority, and on the night that we were having to have planned for what we were going to call the school, I was just walking down the stairs, and um, my daughter said, oh, where are you going? I said, I'm going to a school planning meeting, and she said, oh, uh, what were you doing? I said, oh, it's the night where we've got to think of the name, like we've done loads of hard work, <laughs> but now it's the name thing. And she just said to me, um, Dad, you should call it Hope Community School, and I thought, that's a funny name, you know, like just sort of, I went, yeah, that's nice. Well done, Charlie. And as I got in the car, it just really started to grip me. I thought, yeah, that's what we're doing. We want to bring hope. I mean, who wants to not have hope? Who wants yeah. to spend their life miserable and so yeah. on? And mm. so we thought, yeah, that's amazing. And we want to build a community because we don't just want to be a school. We want to actually mm. impact the community yeah. as well. Yeah. And of course, we want to be a school that's outstanding and doing brilliant things yeah. for children. So I got to the meeting. The paper was all up on the walls. And I said, guys, before we start, mad thing. Um, Charlie, and daughter just mentioned that we should maybe call it Hope Community School. What do you all think? And they were like, What a brilliant name. Let's just do it. <laughs> Paper came <laughs> off the walls, and that was it. It's the funniest meeting you've ever had yeah. about the school. So, yes, yeah. so, yeah, so, 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 yeah, so we started a school called Hope Community School. We're in our fourth year. Um, it's an amazing school. It's amazing parents mm. and children there, you know, from all sorts of backgrounds. Um, it's a school with Christian designation, but it's not a school, it's not a church school. Okay. So, a small percentage of people can apply. For a faith place, yes, um, but it's not a school for Christians. No. It's a, but the ethos is you know sure. Christian based. We have a prayer yeah. space in the school, right. and and our collectives, our assemblies in the mornings mm. are Christian based. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all about entrepreneurship and leadership. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is raise up the the aspiration of children who a lot of them live on two estates around yeah. the school to go and make a difference in their yeah. life and be entrepreneurs and be leaders. So mm. our philosophy around the school is we have classrooms in the community. So we work very closely with the BMW garage, for example, uh, that Ben Collins owns. And in that garage, we have a classroom where the children will go and they do some learning in mm. yeah. in the BMW garage yeah. about business, about yeah. sales and yeah. so on. So, yeah, it's a primary school. So it's really exciting.
0: And for me, it's it's just a testimony, your your life, in a sense, and the two kind of aspects of it we've heard to to the fact that we believe and serve and, and look for God to do supernatural things. But we're also here to work hard in the yeah. world and, and see his kingdom come in very practical ways, in yeah. ways where you have to fill out a 260-page application, <laughs> you know, to start a school and so on. So I guess I guess sometimes as Christians we can be a bit guilty of loving the supernatural stuff. Yeah, go yeah. for that. The rest of it sounds a bit hard. I mean, yeah. how do you kind of... when? You know, frankly, it it is kind of like a bit of a grind. You know, you know that there's all kinds of political issues you've got to sort out. And how, how do you kind of inspire yourself with with what this is all about ultimately?
1: Well, I mean, the first thing is, uh, having started that school, we're now starting some other schools, other churches in Southampton. Gluttons for punishment. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And we opened a a library as well, like a community library that was closing down. So we've kind of, because we want to make good things happen, and I think the overarching thing for me is, I think life is supernatural. I think, you know, this planet is supernatural. It's not Mm. just natural. Of course it's natural, but it Mm. is also supernatural. And I think that... I think one of the things I've noticed about leadership is the grit and determination you need, you know, yeah, you can pray and you can ask God to help you. And that's really important. But I think a lot of it is just sheer grit and determination yeah. and perseverance to break through and yeah. to, to, to do the things that, um, those will, are some of
0: the biggest miracles. Yeah. Some yeah. of the
1: greatest miracles I know is in me that sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I think today's going to be a tough day, but I've got to push through it and I've got to break through. And, and, uh, it might you know, in my life, you know, my, both my parents died and, uh, my mum just got dead of a brain hemorrhage and my dad slowly died of cancer and those sort of things and i remember in those moments really wanting to to give up you know and right. having been an adopted child losing your parents quite a young age and particularly really desperately wanting to know that they would know jesus and i had an amazing moment with my dad which was a life transforming moment for me and an internal changing for him was that in the final moments of his life we were outside the hospital room and the doctor told us that um your dad's going to die probably in the next few hours maybe even the next hour he was dying of cancer and uh, and i went in there and this takes me back to the adoption story mm. so i'm telling the stories and as i went into the room i've got to be honest i hate hospitals i hate all you know i just i'm really bad at that mm. sort of thing mm. at going in hospitals when someone says can you go and pray for someone at the hospital i'm always trying to get someone else to go <laughs> because i just feel yeah i go weak knees in hospitals <laughs> but here's my own dad you know adopted dad lying in bed he's been an amazing dad to me and um I'm just going, God, I just don't know what to say. What do you say? What do you say? How do you say goodbye to your dad? Uh, Mm. What were you meant to do now? And I really just felt inspired to remind my dad about him adopting me. And so I, because he wasn't a Christian, um, Mm. and that was really worrying me and it was was heavy on my heart. And so uh, I I looked at the man that was strong and and now he was weak and Mm. very thin and so on. And I put my arms around him, around his head, and just whispered in his ear because I was a little bit worried about upsetting my mum at the time. Um, but I knew this was important. This yeah, moment was, yeah, yeah. you know, massive. Yeah. And so I, I just felt the inspiration to say to my dad, you know, dad, like, you know, so many years ago, you, you came um, into a, an orphanage or into an adoption society and you decided to choose me to be your son. Yeah. And right now, that's what God wants to do to you. He wants to adopt you right now into his family. Um, and my dad just whispered, you know, with a sort of uh, lot of air coming out of his mouth. He just said, that's what I, I want now. So I then prayed with him right there in the bed yes. to give his life to Jesus. And yeah, and then shortly after that, he, he passed away. So it was, um, it was amazing, really. So I think yeah. the adoption thing, being part mm. of family is so important. And I think often yeah. sometimes in churches, we can get so structured and organized. And that's really important as well. But we are a family. We are yeah. a community. Yeah. Um, and we are, we are yeah. loved by a heavenly father who absolutely yeah. adores us.
0: It's been great talking to you. Paul, thank you so much for sharing so candidly from your life story, your dad, and and obviously the fantastic work that New Generation Church is doing there in Sidcup. Again, uh, if people want to find out more about the church, uh, New Generation Church. Um, Newgen.org.uk. Newgen.org.uk. And I'm sure there's links there to Lark in the Park and all the other stuff that you guys do and the school's work. Uh, If you'd like to um, get along to Spring Harvest, uh, Paul is involved there. He's on the leadership team uh, I can tell you myself as someone who's been as a punter and, and more lately speaking myself, it's a great, great way to spend the Easter holidays with your family. So if you want more information about that and the weeks and places still available, springharvest.org is the place to go. Uh, but for the moment, Paul, thank you very much for being my guest. Oh, thank you. Thanks for inviting today. me. It's
1: been a real honour, privilege.
0: Uh, you've been listening to the Profile with me, Justin Briley, and I do hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you want to find out more, listen again. Uh, do go online to our website, premierchristianradio.com/slash/the-profile, and you'll be able to listen again there. Uh, do come back again next week when we'll have another Christian telling us about their life and faith journey. And don't forget to check out Premier Christianity magazine. You can read Paul's story there in the January edition. That's Premier Christianity. For the moment, Uh, I'm handing over now to Dave Rose with some of the best bits from the past week here on Premier Christian Radio.